All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Studying this morning the offering of Isaac, a classic passage in the Bible, one of the most loved passages probably in the Old Testament, the account of Abraham offering his only son, the son of promise, Isaac. And uh, let's follow in your Bibles as I read, beginning in verse... And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will show thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder, and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it upon Isaac his son. He took the fire in his hand, and the knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the wood, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, saying that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven and the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, For because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed, as the stars of the heavens, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. And it came to pass that, that the, after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah, she hath also borne children unto thy brother Nahor, Huz his firstborn, and Buz uh, his brother, and Kemuel the father of Aram, and Shezad, and Hazo, and, and Pildash, and Jidlaf, and Bethul, and Bethul begat Rebekah. These eight Milcah did bear to Nahor, Abraham's brother. And his concubine, whose name was Rumah, she bare also Teba and Gaham and 
Tahash and Mecca. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the reading of this wonderful passage. We thank you, Lord, that you shared it with us so that we could know not only what took place, but we could be reminded, Lord, of the fact that many years after that, you would send your son and, you would, and he would die on the cross for us. Lord, I pray that you might help us to understand this passage this morning, help us to learn lessons from it, and I pray, Lord, that you might speak to that heart of those, that person who maybe doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. And Lord, if there's someone here that has not trusted Christ, I pray that today you would speak to them, convict their heart, and bring them to the Savior. Lord, help us to know that you desire worship from us, and I pray that we might learn something about worship this morning as we look at this passage. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for yourself. Thank you for what you mean to us. We love you, Lord. And I pray for enablement to bring the message. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christian life is a series of trials, so much so that Peter told us not to think it a strange thing when, we come, when trials come our way. I'd like to read that passage. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 4, and uh, it, it says this, beginning in verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men, men's matters. So God says we are to suffer, and we will suffer. It's to be expected that we suffer, and we shouldn't think it a strange thing when trials come our way. Also, Paul told us that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Then James added to that, and he said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. That means various trials. Blessed is the man that endureth temptations. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. And really, shouldn't we expect it to be so? Shouldn't we expect, as Christians, to have trials in this life? I mean, we're living in, hostile, in a hostile world, consisting mostly of unbelievers. The world does not like to follow God, does not want to follow God. In fact, the world wants to follow its own desires. And Jesus warned us that the world would hate us just like it hated them. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 18 to 21, that we're not to be surprised when the world hates us because the world hated him as well. Therefore, when we as Christians buck the tide of the world, we should not be surprised when turbulence happens. You buck the tide, you get turbulence. And so trials come our way. Uh, we should also expect trials because God uh, uses trials to test our faith. I believe that's what he was doing with Abraham, using the trial to test his faith, reveal the faith that he had. He already knows our weaknesses, but sometimes we don't know our weaknesses. So God will send us trials 
so that he will reveal to us something maybe we didn't know about ourselves, some weakness that we had. Since we, and when the Lord does that, we should uh, respond and say, Lord, teach me and help me to learn from that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, tribulation works patience. So if you want patience, it, trials will come to teach you patience. You don't learn patience by having good times in your life. You don't learn patience by everything going the way that you want it to. You learn patience, and that's a desirable trait because God wants you to have that. You learn that by going through trials, so God will send you through trials many times to teach you that you don't have patience so that you can learn patience. As we grow through the trials in God's grace, God will sometimes bring a trial to our life that will reveal to us that we do trust the Lord. He'll bring a trial to reveal to us and maybe others around us that our God is a God who can be trusted and that we believe that, that nothing is too hard for Him. And so when we respond that way, it brings glory to God. So when God sends a trial to you, it doesn't always mean that you are lacking something that He's going to show. It might mean that you actually have strengths that He wants to reveal to others so those others can bring glory to Him. Abraham's life was lived in enemy territory. God promised to give him the land where he lived as a nomad. The people around him did not know that God was going to give their land to this strange man. They didn't understand that. He lived in a God-fearing life among wicked people, and actually his God-fearing life rebuked their wickedness. But Abraham still had weaknesses. He still had weaknesses that needed to be revealed by God. You remember when he faced the fear of man when he went down to Egypt? God used that test to reveal to him that he had such weaknesses that he would even resort to, li- to lying to save his own skin. Now, maybe Abraham didn't know that uh, he was so bad, but really he did know because he and Sarah had planned ahead of time that they would do this. And, but God brought the trial to reveal to him how serious it was that you will lie and actually risk your wife to save your own skin. When he faced disappointment over not having a son, God revealed to him that there was such a weakness in his flesh that he would, he would stoop to immorality with Hagar in order to have a son. Abraham, the man of faith, the friend of God, God brought that trial to reveal to Abraham, Abraham, you have a real problem and you need to deal with that. And so he also found out through that trial that he was not patient because God had told him, he'd promised him, and he needed to wait, but he wasn't waiting. He was taking matters into his own hands, so God taught him that he lacked patience, and he learned patience through trials like that. But finally, after the series of trials, God gave Abraham and Sarah the son that he had promised to them. Even though they were old, Abraham was a 100 and she was 90. God proved to them that nothing was too hard for him, and he could be trusted. And so they learned that. Abraham's life of of faith had progressed through trials, and in the process, he had learned certain things. I want to list some of the things that Abraham learned through the trials he went through up to the point of our lesson this morning, our passage this morning. He learned to fear God and not fear man. He learned to trust God when his enemy was bigger than he was. You remember when he went to rescue Sodom? 
there was a whole group of kings that he went up against with just a few men. And he learned that God could, God could give him victory even though he was way outnumbered. He learned to trust God to meet his needs. You remember when he, was, he came back from that battle? The, the, the king of Sodom offered him all this wealth. And he said, no, I'm not going to take anything from you. I will trust God. He learned to trust God to meet his needs. He learned to trust God to rescue the righteous and to judge the wicked. You remember he, he prayed for Lot. And God did rescue Lot, and God judged the wicked, Sodom. And Abraham learned that, that sin is so bad that God's going to destroy, and he will destroy cities because of it. And so Abraham learned that about God. He learned to trust God to fulfill his promises in time when it was, it, it was really hard to do that. When he was 90 years old, and it seemed, almost in, it seemed impossible that he could have a child and that Sarah could bear a child. And it seemed impossible, but he learned to wait on the Lord. And so finally he's learned all these lessons, and he's learned that God, with God nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. So when you come to chapter 22, Abraham has already learned all these things. And he's learned that God can do anything, nothing's impossible with him, to him. And now we come to our text this morning in, in Genesis 22, and we find that Abraham faces another test. Now, Abraham was up in years by this time, probably 120 or so years old, and now he's facing another test, the greatest test that he had ever faced, and he's going to need to know all these lessons. He's going to need to remember all the lessons that he's learned about God. And his son, Isaac, was full grown, and he was the love of their life. Abraham and Sarah almost worshipped Isaac. Everything was wrapped up in Isaac, and he was loved by them so much. And yet it came, comes to this test that we almost read it, we read it and almost say, this is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. If you'd never read this before, if you didn't know this, and you were just reading this passage, you're reading through the Bible, and you see everything that Abraham's gone through, and now... God tells him to kill his son. You'd say, well, wait a minute. That, that doesn't make sense. That's unbelievable. And that surely God wouldn't ask him to do something like that. But the Bible says he did. So let's look at, Ab at the command that God gave Abraham. First of all, the Bible says God did tempt Abraham. The word tempt means he tries him. He tries Abraham. That means he tests him. He proves him. He puts a test on him to see uh, what was in him and what kind of man he was or whether he would trust God with this most impossible thing he'd ever faced. I mean, a hundred years old, that was bad enough, uh, impossibility enough to, uh, to, have, to have a child at that age. But now the child has grown and everything's wrapped up in him. And for him to ask God to ask him to kill him, I mean, that seems uh, uh, unbelievable. That seems impossible, even more so impossible than the hundred years old. Well, Abraham, though, was to do that. He was to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Notice the description that God gives. We find it in verse 2. And he said, take now thy son, thy son. And then he says, thy only son, whom thou lovest. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Isaac, or, I, 
Isaac is very special to you, Abraham, but you're to take this son who is your only one. Everything is wrapped up in him, and you love him. It seems like God's just emphasizing how special Isaac is to Abraham. And then he says, gives him specific instruction. He says this, offer him there for a burnt offering. You go to the land of Moriah. I'm going to show you the mountain when you get there. And it's a mountain that I have chosen. We find out later. This is where the temple was built later. So it's a very special place. And so you go and uh, you offer him as a burnt offering. Now, a burnt offering in, in Abraham's mind means... If you burn the offering, you kill the offering, and then you burn it with fire. So that's a burnt offering. And so that's what God tells Abraham to do. Now notice Abraham's obedience. Abraham's obedience is prompt. He gets up that next morning early in the morning, and he rose up early in the morning. He set out to do what God told him to do. Notice the details. He saddled his ass. Now, Abraham was well up into years, I think probably 120 or so years old, but this time Isaac is full grown. And uh, so he's the one that's going to need to ride the donkey. So he saddles the donkey, and then the Bible says he took two young men to help. I believe that shows his resolve. I've got a journey to go, and I want to make sure I accomplish this. We're going to need some help. I mean, we've got things to take with us. It's me and Isaac but we're going to need some help, so I'll ride on the donkey and I'll need to take two young men to help us. I'm going to accomplish what God said. And then the Bible says he took Isaac. He didn't leave Isaac, he took him. Even though he knew that Isaac was the one he was to kill, he took Isaac. He claved the wood. The Bible says he claved the wood. I, don't, I imagine that this means Abraham did that. He was determined. Now, I believe it's more than, you know, I'll, I'll go out and get firewood for our fireplace and uh, I'll get an armload and take it in. It was more than that. He's going to sacrifice a grown human being. And he doesn't know that there will be wood where he's going to go. And so he takes the wood, he claves the, claves the wood, and he gets it ready to take with them. And so he prepares the wood. It must have been a pile of wood that he had to take. And these two young men are going to help him probably take that wood. And so he takes, then he says, it doesn't say it in that verse, but over in verse 6 it says he took fire, that he had fire. When he got there, he had fire. And so he had taken fire with him, no doubt burning coals. And they kept hot. And they got there so that when they got to the place of offering, there would be fire. And so they took the fire with him. And he also took, according to verse 6, a knife. Now, Abraham was dedicated to do what God told him to do. There were going to be no excuses. There were going to be, not like we said the other day, uh, excuses is a skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. There would be none of that. Abraham was going to do exactly what God took him, uh, told him to do. And then he went to the place that God had chosen. He's going to go to the place that God has chosen. And then he tra- and they begin their travels, and the Bible says it takes them three days to get there at least two and a half days. They travel two days, and on the third day, they come to the place where he sees the mountain, and some way God reveals to him, that's the one in the land of Moriah, that's the mountain I want you to go to. And so he sees the mountain, and you think about that time, that three days journey. He had plenty of time to think about what he was doing. 
He had plenty of time to change his mind. He had plenty of time to look ahead as Isaac maybe walked in front of him to look at that son and say, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to have to kill him. He doesn't know that yet. And so he has all this time to think about this as he's walking along for three days. And then when he saw the mountain, he told the two young men, he said, now you stay here, and Isaac and I are going to go up and uh, worship the Lord, and then we will return. Now, I imagine that Isaac began to wonder at this time, as we find out next verse, Isaac's began to wonder, oh, what's going on? And so, he, but he still goes on uh, with his dad and says, they go together. So they leave the, the donkey and they leave the two men and just Abraham and Isaac go together walking up to this mountain. And then we find in verse 7 that Isaac finally gives the question. And he said, Father, he said uh, in, in verse 7, he said, uh, my father, he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I see the fire and I see the wood, and we've been traveling three days and been trying to figure this out. Uh, uh, there doesn't seem to be any animals around here. Where's the lamb for the offering? And Abraham says, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide himself a lamb. And so it seems like that they, that satisfies him. And between verses 8 and 9, something took place. Because verse 9, they get there and he's laying Isaac on the altar. So between verse 8 and 9, as they're walking up that mountain, Abraham probably said, Isaac, I've known this all along, but I have to tell you, God told me three days ago that I was to take you and I was to kill you offer you as a burnt offering to the Lord on that mountain. Now, there's no record of Isaac ever objecting. There's no record of Isaac fighting. There's no record of him making, uh, uh, trying to get out of it. He had developed a trust in the Lord as well, and no doubt Abraham had told him over and over again what a miraculous thing it was that he was born and how God had kept his promises, and nothing's too hard for the Lord. And he probably taught his son that. And now his son comes to the place where he has to exercise faith, and his father says, God told me to kill you, offer you as a sacrifice to him, a burnt sacrifice. And Isaac submits. He could have fought his dad because his dad was an old man, and he was a young man, but he didn't. He submitted to his dad. And so Abraham proceeds to make the offering. And the Bible tells us in verse 9, it says, And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. So Abraham builds the altar. He lays the wood on the altar. And then he binds his son. That's what you did with an offering. And so he bound his son and he laid him on, on on the wood. I imagine Isaac had to help him. The 120 some year old man couldn't probably pick up Isaac 
a grown man and lay him on the altar. And so Isaac probably had to help him as he got himself up on that altar. And as far as Isaac knows, he's going to die. As far as Abraham knows, he's going to die. And so you think, now what was Abraham thinking? What must have been going on through his mind at this time? This is, an, this is a terrible time. This is a time when he knew was coming, and now he's been thinking about this for over three, day, or three days, and Isaac's been thinking about it since his dad told him on the way up the mountain. And uh, they're both doing this together, and uh, they, Isaac isn't fighting, and Abraham, he just can't hardly believe that he's going to kill his son. So what's he thinking? I thought about that, so I wrote some things down that I think maybe Isaac, that Abraham was thinking. He probably thought to, in his mind this, God has never failed me yet. He's never failed me. God has promised that many would come from Isaac, and one day he would be a great nation. God doesn't lie. God promised that. God promised me that in Isaac all the world would be blessed. God told me that nothing is too hard for him, not even getting me out of this situation. I can do what he told me to do, and God's still going to get, get us out of this because, you remember, he told the young men, Isaac and I are going to go up the mountain, and we're going to come back. Both of us are coming back. So he's probably thinking, God's going to get me out of this because nothing is too hard for God. He probably thought something like this, God is too good to be unkind to his children. And he probably thought God is too wise to make a mistake. I've, he's proven that to me in my life over and over. And then he probably thought, God is my friend. And he promised. He promised. And then he's probably concluded like this, I can trust him. The times I didn't trust him, I got in trouble. The times I trusted him, it went well. I can trust him. And then one final thought he had, and it's recorded in the book of Hebrews. I'd like to read it to you in Hebrews chapter 11. It says this, Hebrews 11 verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And then it says this. This is in his mind. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he was received. It received him in a figure. He accounted that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. From the dead. Let me remind you of something. Nowhere in the Bible before this has there been any resurrection. This has never happened before. There has never been a recorded resurrection before this. And so this would be a brand new thing. But Abraham thought, look, look, everything's at stake, and it's all wrapped up in Isaac, and uh, God cannot lie. God will fulfill his promises. I know he will. He told me he would. He promised he would. He said nothing's too hard for me. Let me think. How would God get, to, get us out of uh, What could possibly happen? And he thought, I think I know, and that is my God is going to let me kill my son, and then he's going to bring my son back to life. That's the only thing it could be. And he's thinking that in his mind. And then 
Abraham did what he was told to do. He had built the altar. He had bound Isaac on it to lay him on the altar. And Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife. Now, I'm not sure just what that means. I've always pictured it that he had the knife and was about ready to come down and God stopped it. Or it could mean that he's got everything prepared and he reaches out to take the knife and there God stops him. I don't know if God stopped him here or if God stopped him here. I'm not sure, but God stopped him. And God said, Abraham, Abraham. And there we see the intervention of God. God intervenes and he called to Abraham and mentions his name twice. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad. Don't you do anything to this lad. You stop. And he said, now I know that you fear me because you would, not even, you would have given your son to do what I told you to do. I know that you fear me. And therefore he said, don't do this. Don't do this. And right at that time, Abraham probably heard something. And he looked around, and there was a ram caught in a thicket. Now, a ram was a sheep, but he was caught in a thicket by his horns. Now, did that just happen? Did that just by chance happen? No, I don't think so. That ram didn't know it, of course. Abraham didn't know it. But right before that, that ram was, was wandering around, and he was rooting around, and he got his horns stuck in a thicket. You know, God has purpose for all things. And so that ram couldn't get loose, and Abraham looked and thought, ah, God says I can't kill Isaac, so there's the sacrifice. And he goes and gets the ram, puts it on the altar, kills the ram, burns the ram, and offers that ram as a sacrifice to the Lord. So then he called the place Jehovah-Jireh. Jehovah-Jireh. He called the place that, that, that. And it's all, it also could be called, uh, considered a name for God. And it means the Lord will see to it. God, God will see to it that, that he provides a way, that he keeps his promises. If I obey him, he'll see to it. He'll get me through it. And it also could be translated, the Lord will provide. And you remember the Lord told uh, or Abraham told Isaac, the Lord himself shall provide the, a lamb. And so he named the place, the Lord will provide. And then God restated his promises to Abraham. We find that in verses 15 through 18. We read it, we'll not read it again. But let's stop and look back at this passage a minute and realize this has to be a type of the Lord Jesus. This has to be a type of the Father's love for the Lord Jesus. Now, we shouldn't consider everything types that looks like a type. There should be some reason. And so in the New Testament, we find in the book of Galatians that Jesus is called Abraham's seed. So wait a minute, that would be Christ. And uh, this one that's promised, is this promised one who's going to bless all the nations, that's Christ. And the book of Hebrews, it seems to imply that this is picturing the Lord Jesus and, and the Father. So Abraham is the father, and Isaac is the son, 
And that picture is God the Father and God the Son. The Father was willing to offer His Son. The Bible says in John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's Abraham. He's picturing what Jesus did, what God the Father did, that God sent His Son as, as, because He loved the world. He sent His Son. And then the Bible says that the Son, knowing this, willingly participated. And he and Abraham went on together. After Abraham told him, Son, uh, God's going to provide himself a lamb, uh, Abraham and Isaac walked on together. And in that walk, Abraham told him, and Isaac still didn't resist. He laid down his life. And that's the Lord Jesus, willingly. You remember on, at Gethsemane, he said, my, my God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He was thinking about the death he would experience on the cross and how the Father would turn in wrath towards him and all the sin of the world would be laid upon him and he would become the substitute. And he said, if there's any other way, but then he said this, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And that's Isaac. That's Isaac. And he's, he's representing the Lord. He's a type of Christ. And so here's the father and the son. And then Isaac, though, does not die. Now, what's the reason for that? Here's the type, and Isaac doesn't die. Because, my friend, Isaac could not die if it was considered continued the type. Isaac could not be the type of Christ when he died. Why? Because Isaac is a sinner. And Isaac could not picture Jesus through the death because that would be a wrong, wrong picture, because Isaac is a sinner. He could picture Christ all the way up to that, and the, the agreement with the Father, and the willingness to do the Father's will, all of that, but not the death, because Isaac is a sinner. And it took a ram, an innocent ram, caught in the thicket, that never having committed any sins, to become the substitute and die in Isaac's place. And so... The picture is there. It took that innocent lamb, that innocent ram, to die of, in Isaac's place so that he could escape. I ask you this morning, have you personally trusted Christ as your Savior? Uh, listen closely. I, I think most of you are saved. I don't know. Years ago, people thought I was saved, but I wasn't. Are you saved? Have you truly trusted Jesus as your Savior? God loved you so much that he gave his son to die in your place on the cross of Calvary. Jesus was your substitute. He took your place. All the wrath that you deserve fell on Jesus. You deserve to go to hell. I don't care how young you are or how old you are. You deserve to go to hell. But Jesus took your place, and he took the wrath of God for your sins upon himself. He died for you. He shed his blood for you. If you reject Jesus, you will go to hell because there is no other way. There is no other substitute. He's the only way. You see, it makes a big difference what you do with Jesus Christ. Recently, you know, I wrote a track, and it's, it's back there in the track rack, and it's Jesus. Who he is, who is he, what has he done, what is he doing, what will he do, and what difference does it make? conclusion of that track after explaining who Jesus is and what he's done, what he is doing, what he will do, the conclusion of that track is, if you understand who Jesus is, 
and you, you wonder uh, what difference does it make, that's foolish. <laughs> it makes all the difference in the world. And it makes all the difference in the world what you do with Jesus. You might say, well, I'm young. I'm just a kid. I've had funerals of kids. I'll never forget the funeral I had of a six-year-old boy. And uh, he was playing one day and just rode his bicycle out in front of the traffic and killed him. That was such a sad funeral. But kids die, and we never know when we're going to meet the Lord. And what you have to deal with is this, is this. Jesus died for you. What are you going to do with him? It makes all the difference what you do with Jesus Christ. Have you trusted him as your Savior? And then Christians. I want to draw some conclusions for us today. Trials will come in our life, but they'll come by God's design, and God has a purpose. When you go through a trial, it doesn't matter how bad it is, how severe it is, how, how, how complicated it is, how impossible it seems. God has a design for that trial. You are to trust him. You are to be faithful, whatever the cost. As Abraham and Isaac went up to that hill, the Bible says that Abraham told those two servants, Isaac and I are going to worship. We're going to worship. And then we're going to come back. What Abraham was saying is, here's another trial. Here's another test. We're going to worship God through this test, and we're going to come through it on the other side. We're going to worship, and we're going to come back. You know, that's the way trials are in the Christian's life. We should face them like this. Lord, I know you have a purpose. I know you know what you're doing, and uh, you're going to bring us through this, and I trust you. I trust you because I believe you. And so we say to God, we're going to worship. So when you come to a trial, you should say like Abraham did, Lord, I don't know what this is all about, and I don't know the way through. I don't know how it's going to turn out at all, but I know this, it's an opportunity to worship. Because when you face a trial that you can't handle yourself, and God brings you to that place, then you need to say, I believe you, Lord. That's worshiping God. You need to say, I trust you, Lord. You are a faithful God. You have never failed me. You are a good God. You are a wise God. You are all-powerful God. I love you, Lord. And you face that trial, and what you're doing is worshiping because you are expressing to the Lord how much you love him and how much you trust him, and you serve the Lord. And you say, I love you. And I believe that you, we will return. I believe that we will come through this, Lord. I worship you, and I'm going to return. I'm coming through this trial, and Lord, I believe you. As I was thinking about this message this week on Tuesday, the Lord helped me write a poem concerning trials, and I've entitled it, The Victory is Near. Victory is Near. When trials come as they surely will, and the path you trod has lost its thrill, when the days are dark, no hope is seen, and the devil tells you God is mean, remember the truth about your Lord. He is loving, kind, and so much more. He will never leave you nor forsake, and as he works, he makes no mistakes. He'll encourage you when no one cares, provide your needs when the cupboard's bare, and give you strength when you face the test test while assuring you that he knows best. And when Satan comes to test you sore, resist the foe, he'll run for the door. 
As you draw close to your Lord that day, from him he'll flee because he's afraid. God works all for good and everything, for you his purpose in life to bring. Even angels help in the task as ministers ready when he asks. Cheer up, child of God. Victory is near. Wait on the Lord. He's got this, you hear? Greatest victories come when all seems lost. So you stay faithful, whatever the cost. Our Lord has never lost a battle. And this one doesn't leave him rattled. He'll win this one for his glory. And you can praise him with your story. Let's pray. Father, help us to face trials knowing that they're an opportunity to worship you. And Lord, they're an opportunity to develop a story that we can share with others to brag on you. Lord, I know that you can handle all of our trials. Help us to trust you as we face them. If there's a person here who's not saved, Lord, help them to realize it makes all the difference in the world what they do with Jesus. And it's not right for them to take it, take it lightly it's not right for them to think, oh, I'll do that someday. We don't know what a day holds. This could be our last opportunity. So speak to hearts today, Lord. Accomplish your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.